Welcome back to Postmortem Files Episode 2. If you didn't know about, you know, our first episode and the launch of this series, I'm sorry about that. I put that episode out, like, on the 26th. I know it was supposed to be the 19th, and plus Facebook prevented me from posting, commenting on anything for three days. So I couldn't notify anyone, really, but... For the people that did tune in, thank you. I appreciate you. And hopefully that episode gets more and more and more. And hopefully this series kind of does blow up. But anyhow, if you haven't checked out that episode, we talk about Bonnie and Clyde's life, the criminal activity that they did, their death. And we tried to reach really, really messy Dr. Krista, but we couldn't get through all of it. But we still went through the postmortem and autopsy. The best that we could. Anyhow, this episode is going to be about Kaylee. Actually, I was recording this episode for 20 minutes and I was looking through the autopsy of Kaylee Anthony while talking about Casey Anthony's trial. I realized we're not going to make this episode about her mother. Mother's a terrible mother. You know, at the time of recording this on May 29th, Four days ago, Casey was also seen in a bar, you know, so she still has a party life inside of her. But I was like, why, why, why cover Casey when this episode is titled Kaylee Anthony? So this episode, we are going to be looking into um, her daughter and the autopsy. And yes, I do have the autopsies not written in doctor's handwriting that they can only read. This is actually typed out. You can find this on website. You know, just type it up and you can find it. But without further ado, let's get into this. Like I said, I will do my best to define certain words and whatnot. Anyhow, this comes from Orlando, Florida. At the office of the medical examiner from District 9. This is more than 10 pages of autopsy, like like 36 pages, I think. So let's just jump into this. We'll try to get through this all in one episode. Like I said, I don't know if it's possible. And if I have to make another episode of this, I will also be posted on the same day. And if before we do continue, if you haven't followed us on Facebook, do so. After Dark Coast to Coast is our Facebook name. And if you haven't turned on your bell notification, do so. Because last week, I couldn't post or even comment for three full days on Facebook. So... You know, if you want to know when an episode is out and in that scenario, make sure your notifications for our podcast is on. Anyhow, let's get into this. You know what we are talking about? We're talking about the daughter of Casey Anthony, Kaylee Anthony, and the manner of death. No matter what the trial result is, it will always be ruled as a homicide when we're talking about this from a medical examination point. This was identified 
based on the nuclear DNA comparison done by the FBI laboratory and the specific skeletal specimen for identification with the right tibia. I will go hurry up and describe that for you and your doctor. You know, good job. But the tibia is larger of the two bones and it supports most of your weight. It's actually important part of both the knee joint and the ankle joint and the tibia is the larger bone in your lower leg. The tibial shaft fractures occur along the length of the bone. So that was a really quick definition. At the time of the disappearance, Kaylee was two years and ten months. The anthropologic estimation of age was three years plus slash minus six months. Okay. Um, her birthday was August 9th of 2005. She was found not exactly, um, you know, exactly really found on the spot dead, but she was found, uh, I think it was 12, 11, 08. It could be November, but as it's written as 12, 11, 08. The date and time of examination was December 11th, 2008 through December 23rd of 2008. And the trial didn't take place for a couple years. I think it started in May 2011. Let's go on to page 2. The homicide by underdetermined means, and we're going to split this into several parts. The completely skeletonized approximately three-year-old child found in a wooded overgrown area was reportedly last seen on June 16th of 08. She was reported missing to law enforcement on July, I mean, 15th of 08. Portion of skeletal remains intermixed with two plastic trash bags and a canvas laundry type bag. The post-mortem scattering of the skeleton showed that the vertebrae found clustered in, was found clustered in the area away from the skull and the bags, and B, clustering of other anatomic units were found in other locations. So, you know, they were pretty much scattered. Whether or not they were purposely scattered, probably it was due to the decomposition and the environment doesn't specifically say, but the skeleton completely disarticulated with no soft tissue attached and minimal adiopocry found on several bones. If you don't know what that is, you know, I can get into it. But anyhow, small roots adhered to and growing into vertebral bodies and see several overlapping pieces of duct tape over the anterior portion of the lower skull including mandible and a portion of the maxilla. The duct tape is still attached to the scalp hairs and mandible still in approximate anatomic position with no visible attached soft tissue beneath the duct tape. That's a lot to take in. 
but let's kind of go from a trial standpoint you know some third terms so you know if you don't remember much about how her body was found or anything that was presented in the trial on a basic knowledgeable level there was duct tape around the head of Kaylee's and Kaylee Anthony's skull there was hair still found on the duct tape because the duct tape was you know around the hair as well at some location and that hair had some sort of DNA it was a nuclear DNA it was a DNA that typically still active and you can trace only through maternal lines you know whether it was her grandmother Cindy or it was you know Kaylee or even her mother Casey let's continue on describing you know what is with the skull and all of that jazz and I'm going to define this term that is coming up so you'll understand what is important about this so what it means when there is when this autopsy is saying no antemortem trauma is evident on the skeleton and the uh, antemortem trauma is pretty much the altercation produced before an individual's death that displays evidence of an osteogenic reaction and features the features that may indicate antemortem trauma include the evidence of healing or healed fractures there is also a term called pre-mortem injuries so pretty much bone damaging occurring or near the time of death without any evidence of healing. The toxicology testing detected that there was no drugs and that the, the specimens used for examination was the bone from the left femur, cancerous bone scrapings taken from the medullary cavity of the left femur. The hair removed for toxicology testing included both tight strands of hair and cut squares of hair from the hair mat, the soil removed from the hair mat, and saline washings of cranial cavity. A lot of those are what you should probably know, like the cranial cavities, the skull, um, and it pretty much says some locations like left femur, anyhow. You know, we can get to more of the toxicology when we get to the laboratory report, but the conclusion of this section of the skeletal, you know, area is pretty much as stated by the medical examiner, examiner as often is the case with the skeletonized individual, the exact cause of death cannot be determined with certainty. He couldn't determine anything that could have probably been used to aid Kaylee and the prosecutors. Um, 
The manner of death is an opinion based on the available information, including the circumstances that were surrounding it. Um, excluding the information from the scene and examination of skeletal remains. As it continues, it says the circumstances of death are that this toddler child with known or no known medical history was not reported missing to authorities for approximately 30 days. The child's remains were eventually found in a wooded overgrown area. They were discarded with two trash bags and a larger bag. Although there is no trauma evident on the skeleton, there is duct tape over the lower facial region still attached to the head hair. This duct tape was clearly placed prior to decomposition that allowed the mandible to be kept in place. The clustering of vertebrae at the scene separate from the location of the bags and skull indicates that there was animal activity occurring after decomposition started but before complete disarticulation of the skeleton. This indicates the body was put in this location prior to complete skeletonization. The roots growing into the vertebrae and bags indicate that the body was placed there months prior to being found. There is no inconsistent with the body being placed there soon after the date of being last alive, or last seen alive, I should say. It is thus my opinion that although the case of death cannot be determined with certainty, the manner of death is homicide. Let's kind of go back a little bit. We know that the death, the circumstances, I should say, whether it was a environment or, you know, the scene couldn't determine the death, but the death, or, you know, as Kaylee was dying, there was decomposition as well, but there was no trauma evident to the skeleton. Besides, you know, there was duct tape. But let's go to the point where, you know, the roots that were growing into the vertebrae and the bags indicate that the body was placed there months prior. Obviously, I don't think we could ever get a clear sight of, you know, when this body was exactly placed. You gotta remember when Kaylee Anthony's grandmother Cindy reported the body missing to police, it was 31 days. The autopsy and the opinion and conclusion in this section of the skeleton from the medical examiner says the body was placed months before. So is it possible that there's another side of the story that we don't know about it? You know, it's it's really hard to tell. I If I remember correctly through documentaries and all of that, you know, at some point before the body started decomposing. Kaylee, I think, sat in the trunk of the car that her hair and the DNA and all of that was in. 
So, could it be that Kaylee's been missing more than a month? I don't know. I obviously wasn't there, but anyhow, um, you know, it's just odd because the body was reported 31 days approximately after the grandmother noticed the body missing. But here's the thing. Kaylee, or not Kaylee, Casey, had been lying to her mother probably between that month of it being reported in the previous month. You know, with her lies saying that she was with a nanny called Zanny or a wealthy guy, which is true. There was that guy that existed, but some things did not match up about him that Casey reported. Anyhow, let's move on. Let's go to the sequence of events because I don't need to repeat the other stuff before that. The next initial examination and separation of items were received December 11th of 08 and were done by Dr. Gary Otts. Deputy Chief Medical Examiner Dr. John Schultz, anthropologist of the District 9 Medical Examiner's Office. On December 11th, at the request of Dr. Jan C. Garavagula, or something like that, Chief Medical Examiner and Dr. John Schultz was asked to help assist with the recovery process at the scene. On the 12th of December, at the request of law enforcement, the duct tape was released to FBI. In addition, received from the Orange County Sheriff's Office from the scene were an owner, radius, humerus, two femurs, a fibula, 15 ribs, a scalpia, an alum, or alium, and two clavicles, two teeth, and two vertebrae as well as the epiphyses and miscellaneous bones. Maybe I didn't pronounce a couple words, but you know. On the 13th, Dr. Jan, while at the scene, identified additional human bones that were received from the Orange County Sheriff's Office. They were numerous small bones, as well as a piece of pubic bone, a tibia, three more teeth, as well as approximately 20 either intact or portions of vertebrae, as well as three ribs and a fragment of rib. Subsequent examination of the skeleton clothing was done at the office by Dr. Jen um, and Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Sean, or Chief Medical Examiner with anthropologist Dr. Sean, John and Dr. Michael, and they examined the skeleton. On the 14th, two more vertebrae and several miscellaneous bones and ileum, or ileum, I mean, were received at the scene, or from the scene, I should say. The 15th, one rib was received. The 16th, more hand bones were received. And the 17th, a rib bone and bone fragments were received. On the 18th, small miscellaneous bones were recovered and received. Um, and... Dr. Goldberger and Dr. Jan removed specimens from toxicologic, or toxicologic ex- 
examination, including strands of head hair measuring approximately six inches in length, which were tied at the proximal end. They were teased from the mat of head hair, which was present initially under the skull. Also removed for toxicologic uh, testing was a portion of left femur, as well as scrapings of cancellous bone from the medullary cavity of the left femur. Soil was taken from the hair mat, and small rectangular sections of hair mat were removed. The line washing of the cranial captivity was also collected. So, in summary, the initial examination that was done and included separation of items present within a white body bag. It contained within a shroud was an intermingled mix of two black large, plastic large trash bags with yellow circular handles, a canvas style laundry bag, dirt, green, and dried vegetative material, insects, pupae, multiple cloth letters, remains of stitching with an attached garment tag and a piece of stretchy synthetic paper such cloth as well as human bones. Some of the bones were recovered intermixed with this material and some from within at least one of the black trash bags. The vegetative material that was still present in the shield upon my examination are leaves, roots, and vines, as well as other green dried and dried vegetative material. A slight amount of dried papay and sandy dirt, spiders, and a few scattered silverfish. Also found with the material at the time was 10 gnarled and regular fragments of plastic consistent which coming from the black trash bags. There is also a piece of a lighter gray synthetic material, which is less than one inch in size. There is also a small piece of yellow thin plastic consistent, which coming from the yellow handle of one of the black trash bags. That's undertaken, but you know, it is what it is. The cloth letters had three letters of the size, and they spelled B I G as in big and the T-R-O-U-B-L-E as in trouble and then obviously C-O-M-E-S and S-M-A-L so all together it read big trouble comes small. The stitching of the garment tag you know obviously stated what size so it was three toddler what it was made out of where it was made out of um, all that other stuff, obviously they had to include this in it. Um, so we're not exactly going to go over this, but the blanket that was found intermixed with the plastic bags at the time was discolored, had stitching, and it was winning a pool. And Piglet was riding on Pooh's back. And roots appeared to be growing completely through the blanket. There was also the diaper and pull-up type materials that was found. Um, it was stained gray with attachment roots at one end. Also attached to one of the corners of this rectangular shaped material. The purple thin stretchy ribbon type material. 
It appears slightly stretchier than the rectangular-shaped synthetic material. This thin ribbon measures 9.5 inches in length and it has a width of 7 8 inch and has a purplish color. Over this piece of material has the appearance of, of coming from a diaper or pull-up type item. You know, the only reason I read that because sometimes when going into examination with a kid or a toddler, you know, that wears diaper or pull-ups, some of the evidence, depending on what happened to that kid, can be on it. So that's the reason I read it, just in case. And the roots with, roots with the blanket is also important to the fact that, um, you know, like I said, the skeletal remains and what was left of Kaylee and her belongings was laying there for a while. Like, it took them a while to find her. On top of that, the months that she was decomposing there and giving the ground and bugs and everything else, you know, what they needed. She was also wearing shorts as it was received in a paper bag. Um, it was multicolored. Uh, we're not gonna go really over that, but they were stained with dirt and slight vegetative material. The skeletal remains we're gonna talk about because it's, it's important too. Um, the skull was initially received in a separate paper bag with duct tape over the lower portion of the face with a tape that was still attached to some of the scalp hair. Like I said, in the trial, the scalp hair kind of came extremely important. Like I said, with a decomposing body, there's the two types of DNA. There's the nuclear and there's the DNA that ultimately just, you know, can be traced only maternally. I did forget the name of that, but you know, if you know it, you know it. So that that's what's important about this. You know, it's the hair that's technically still attached to the skull. Um, a large, or actually not the skull, but the scalp. Um, a large portion of the scalp hair was in a mat under the skull. The mandible was still in an approximate anatomic location, in spite of the complete skeletonization. Um, there was no soft tissues, ligaments, or tendons evident on any of the bones. Examination of the skeleton reveals an almost complete skeleton of a young child with only multiple small, small bones missing. These small bones um, include the bones from the wrists and hands as well as fingers and ankles and hyoid and patellia. Um, so, yeah. Obviously, once again, there was no trauma to the skull. The inner aspect of the cranial cavity was examined with light and revealed sandy dirt and an, and an attached small incisor, which is adhered to the inside of the calvarium with dirt. The mandible, which is the jaw part, still has nine lower teeth attached with four teeth still present in the maxilla. All of the teeth that were lost during decomposition were subsequently found at the scene, except for one incisor. 
The mat of hair which was initially found beneath the skull with strands of hair extending across the calvarium and face consists of medium brown hair. The, some of the strands, I should say, could be teased from the mat and were at least 67 inches in length and there were numerous small defects within this mat of hair presumably from insect activities and multiple small roots growing out or going through the mat of the hair. Examination of the rest of the skull also reveals no evidence of antemortem trauma once again um, no x-ray proved it also several pieces of the skeleton has post-mortem animal activity evidence so after death you know, from the insects or whatever, stumbled about in that area. There is no soft tissue. Once again, we don't need to read that. Some of the bones um, had sandy, silty dirt on their surfaces except for the skull. A, the FBI did um, test a small rectangular piece of bone that had been removed from the right tibia for DNA analysis and a fragment of bone was removed from the left femur for toxicology testing. We, we don't really need to go all over what was within bags again. Um, so let's skip that part. Now let's talk about the osteological analysis. What that means is, actually let me look that up really fast. I'm doing this kind of by, um, you know, going on. So let's look this up really fast. So when we talk about osteology, it's a detailed study of the structure of bones skeletal elements, teeth, microbone, morphology, function, disease, pathology, the process of ossification from cartilaginous uh, molds and the resistance and hardness of bones or biophysics. That's what osteology is. But it also does combine a subdiscipline of anatomy, anthropology, and pathology or paleontology. So, pretty much, that's what it all consists of. Um, let's see what's important here really fast. Goes back to when the remains um, were located. So, the remains in question were located on the 11th of December of 08 in a heavily wooded area on the south side of the eight or 8900 block of Suburban Road, Orlando, Orange County. The remains were scattered within a wooded area and were recovered by Orange County Sheriff's Office Forensic Unit on the 11th, as an ending on December 20th. As the consulting anthropologist for the District 9 Medical Examiner's Office, Dr. Schultz provided an advisory role to the OSCO, or OXCO, I should say, which is the Sheriff's Office Crime Scene Unit throughout the recovery 
On December 12th, it took a full day and the 14th to the afternoon. Dr. Schultz worked with the crime scene investigators during the recovery and he was in contact with Mrs. Susan Mears, which was a forensic unit supervisor, and every day during the recovery via phone. Schultz traveled to the scene on a regular basis except for the 13th and the 20th of December to identify human bones, assessing to the progress of the recovery and discuss any search strategies for locating the missing bones with Mrs. Mears. All non-human bones and suspicious materials that were located at the scene were identified as either the non-bone or non-human by Schultz. The remains were, and still are, I should say, to be believed of Kaylee Anthony, white European ancestry female that was born on August 9th of 2005, who would have been approximately two months shy of three years of age when last seen alive by a credible eyewitness on June 16th of 2008. At the time, there was no known dental history and there still isn't, but she had visited a uh, pediatric, and I know I didn't mispronounce that, um, no anti-mortem clinical radiographs were available for anti-mortem post-mortem radiographic comparison, and they were not aware of a history of significant trauma or pathology noted in her medical records. I know that was a lot to take in, but let's just go over a summary. You know, it was just one, obviously, Keith Anthony. At the time of this being written, um, they didn't know the individual exactly, but they kind of figured it was Kaylee Anthony. The sex was undetermined, the ancestry was undetermined, um, the age was three years, six months-ish. Um, obviously, we don't need to reread the antemortem. Um, there was no trauma, and animal damage was there. Okay, that's the summary of it. So this is how in um, osteology, the conditions of remains and the process of it, when it's being processed. They were analyzed at the District 9 Medical Examiner's Office on the 11th of December, 13th, 15th, 16th, 18th, and all the way to the 23rd for the most part, except for the 21st, 17th, 22nd. Um, the skeletal remains were once again devoided or non-existent of any soft tissues that excluded, but not limited to ligaments and cartilage. No odor of the decomposition was ever detected. Um, obviously there was dirt and roots and everything that came with it. I'm not going to reread all that. Um, the opinion of this part was considering the dispersal of the skeletal remains, it would not be expected to find the mandible in this position unless something affixed the mandible in this position prior to decomposition and the hair matting forming. So what that pretty much means in basic terms that people can understand is this body was purposely placed in a certain position prior to her rotting away and obviously the hair matting. Um, 
and skeletal cases involving surface decompositions, the mandible and cranium are normally found. This articulated because there is nothing to hold the mandible in place and after the soft tissues decomposes. So the, the position of the tape and the mandible can be inferred that the mandible remained in this position with the skull. And what's again, let's go over what I'm, I, I don't think I actually find that. Let's define that really fast. What a mandible is, is pretty much the jawbone. Um, especially the lower jawbone, you know. So the tape helped the mandible stay in. So what they're saying is, you know, if you didn't understand it from that standpoint that they're putting is, is the duct tape that was in a certain position on Kaylee helped the lower jawbone or the mandible to stay intact if there was no duct tape that lower jaw would not be attached to the skull anymore and in most cases that does happen but in this case luckily it was we don't need to go over you know all that other stuff on like the age and stuff because we did that already um let's see this pretty much goes over who she is and the futures of her skull including the length and identification of her skull body or the skull parts you know like whether it's a femur or you know a mandible or not so let's see we don't need to go through the trauma again so when we talk about post-mortem modifications we typically discuss more about um the modifications of post-mortem like in this case as we talked about when Kaylee Anthony was brought in there was roots growing from her there was and or bug or animal traces and damage there was soil and staining of the soil and once again the organic material whether it was just roots or not and you know coming down on this it's a minimal formation of the adiprocher um like i said the iliac blade proximal left femur all the other stuff that makes it important when we talk about postmortem because you know as we stated with the lower jawbone it had to be purposely placed and like that you know it, it's all important in short um talks about the fabric and that was noted on the anterior aspect of the right scapula and the proximal anterior aspect of the right humerus the material was removed for possible analysts it also talks about metaphysics and 
this happens in the tibia that sustained post-mortem damage to the, the distal end. Um, it talks about the appearance of the margin and the cancellous bone. It also talks about the temple animal damage and this is typical definitely in wooded area you would see a lot of animals. Animals don't necessarily care what's on the ground. Um, but there was chewing with punctures, pits, and ragged borders on the proximal ends of both the femora, which specifically right femora also exhibited a number of fractures, but the sternal end of the right clavicle, the head of the left, left tet rib, and the left eighth rib. The base of the right second metatarsal and the inferior aspect of the left ileum that includes the acetabular portion. So, and it continues going on where the rootlets had grown round in multiple areas and around multiple vertebral centra. Um, there is also at the time of examination a pupil casing and herring to the right scap or scapula on the anterior surface of the superior angle. Also, it said there was slight to moderate erosion on the skeleton as well. Um, we don't need to go over all the other stuff, including how they found the information because they're just books. Um, the most part, that's a lot of what this is. We can jump into the anthropology if it's something different. Goes back to the dates. Um, but it does talk about the dispersal pattern. So let's talk about each area where the bones were found. So area A included the primary decomposition site and may represent the initial dump site. This is the location where the skull, plastic, black plastic bags, canvas bag, and bones were located and recovered on the 11th. Bones that were located in this area during the recovery included teeth, arm bones, wrist, hand bones, lower leg bones, ankle bones, and toe bones. Area B only included the left humerus diaphysis. Area C only included the left tibia diaphysis. Area D only included the right second metatarsal that sustained animal damage. Area E only included a small hand bone. Area F included both femoral diaphysis and with carnivore damage. The right and left arm fused elenium segment for both coxae with carnivore damage to the left ileum and right and left clavicles, two ribs and half neutral arc of C1. And then the west area, or area G I should say, included two ribs, the L5 and an, and an on-fuse element of S1. Whether or not we'll define those, I don't know. But area H included nine ribs, a left scalpia and half neutral arc of C1 and area I included foot ribs 
and on a few segments uh, representing 20 vertebrae. So from there, we can kind of see the disperse, and that's the generalized idealization or discovery, I should say, more importantly, of how the bones were dispersed and all of that. At the time of the body dump, the, it was in the initial stages of decomposition. So like I said, the, if I remember correctly, based on what I've watched and all of that, read about, the body was still in the trunk of Casey's Anthony's car. It, it really was. And this shows that the decomposition like the smell of a rotting body, the beginning stations, stages of decomposition was present at the time the body of Kaylee Anthony was dumped. We're not going to reread about postmortem damage because we did. Um, the bones of the trunk, including the ribs, vertebrae, clavicles, both of parts of both us. Coxae and both femora were located away from the body at the secondary decomposition sites as of areas FG, H, FG, H, and I were included in this. Area A would be expected that the trunk was dragged away from the primary uh, decompos decompositional site. And once again, going back to areas FG, H, and I. The bones then were scattered uh, to a number of secondary decomposition sites. Um, for example, both femoral and parts of the pelvis were located in area F, and both femoral diaphyses were um, located during, located together, I should say, lying side by side. You know, I can't see the pictures of these that they refer to, but there is pictures of these. And it talks about since the time of death, um, including the dispersal and burial of the left on infused ileum, um, the rate of soft tissue decomposition and bone erosion, and the bones located under seasonal leaf fall. If that also does mean, in short, in short, we're going to make this as short as possible when discussing this. So like, let's say if you do a body dump and whatever falls on top of it, like let's say in this case it's leaves, you know, we can say it's, you know, been there for a while or depending on how the leaves are on the ground and the body looks, we can say it was put there, but over time with the next five days after the leaves were covering the body or not. Um, so that's kind of what it's referring to with that. You got to remember at the time the body was reported in July, I think, of 2008. And the trial didn't happen until 2011. But the body wasn't found until December. Um, let's see. Once again, there was no tissue or anything. We're not going to go over that. 
Um, this is this is really important too. We're we're going to go into this, um, but in Florida, definitely during June, July, and August, when it's hot and rainy, um, bodies will decompose rather quickly, and then become skeletonized in less than a month. This estimate is supported through extensive human decomposition research at the at the anthropology research facility at the University of Tennessee. Um, according to you know whatever source they took this from, when referring to warm or hot weather, it usually takes between two and four weeks for a body to become nearly or completely skeletonized. A body in Tennessee in July and August can go from what you and I know to a complete skeleton in two weeks, quote unquote. So it's important to note in this section that the decomposition research of anthropology research facility is primarily with larger adult bodies. Also, furthermore, Stuart also supports that a body can be completely skeletonized by the end of two weeks. Where when he proves or when he provides a case involving a 12 and a half year old female from Mississippi. Um, at the same time, the mean monthly temperature of the three summer months, June, July, and August, in Orlando is 82 degrees, which is hotter than the mean monthly temperature for Knoxville. And similar to Hattiesburg, it can be inferred that decay rates in the Orlando area should be faster in Knoxville, Tennessee, and similar to Hattiesburg. It would be expected that decomposition of a small child in Florida that is uh, deposited in an outdoor environment during the summer months would have occurred in less than a month and most likely within two weeks. Therefore, the body must have been dumped at the site during the early stages of decay prior to disarticulation of the anatomical units. The autopsy from the anthropology side does give a average temperature for Knoxville, Orlando, and Hattiesburg for temperatures in the months of June, July, August. Um, Knoxville is slightly below them you know, they range in the 70s, those three months, while Orlando ranges in the 80s and Hattiesburg ranges in the 80s as well. Um, let's talk about the seasonal landfall. I know we're running really short on time, but we are almost done. I swear we got like two more pages. Anyhow, let's continue before we do run out of time. Let's talk about the leaf fall that they talked about more in depth. Other than a number of bones that were located when the bags were removed, the majority of the bones were located on the leaf layer and many were in contact with the muck. In other words, the bones had to have been decomposed and scattered prior to the leaves falling and covering up the bones during the fall season of 2008. That's, that's pretty much what I did state too. And when looking at this, you look at, the, you know, what's on top of the body or the skeleton in winter you can see a you know like if you were daring or burying somebody in a grave and you were digging that grave up and then you put all the dirt back and the dirt
dirt kind of goes up in a heap or a hill type of you know level if you don't level out so in snow and winter a uh, body would be the same thing because that snow would just go over it and form a heap um so in this case since there was leaves on it they're saying that the body had to be dumped and decomposing prior to when the fall season of 2008 hit and once again I just more summarize what they summarized um, it goes out to the literature it goes back to the skull parts and bought our skeletal remains goes to uh, the survey stuff you know like where the survey was and all of that we don't got time for that um, but anyhow yeah like I said there was no or I should say the results for a toxicology report in the summary says um, vol volatiles and drugs were not de detected in the specimens obtained from the remains of the skeletal remains and these results in the toxicology report um, do not rule out though that the de uh, descents prior use and slash or exposure to vo uh, volatiles and such or drugs if you remember anything about the trial when they go to, you know, Casey Anthony's search history. In the trial they brought up, when investigators were looking at the search history, there was a lot of searches about chloroform. And chloroform was one of the things that did kind of play a part with Kaylee Anthony. Whether or not this would have been found, I hardly doubt it. I bet if there was much more skin, um, a lot more, you know, skin of that area where the chloroform rag would have been, there would probably have been signs of chloroform which would have been supportive and probably would have actually put Kaylee Anthony, or not Kaylee, but Casey Anthony in jail if there was a lot more evidence with the chloroform. But anyhow, that's all the time we actually got for, and we did get through all of the pages. And see you next time on episode three. Remember, postmortem files is a limited series that comes out every Wednesday, while our other series, Long Haul Killers, comes out every Friday. See you next time.